Hi. How's everybody? My name's Alan. Welcome to Greater Alton. Glad everybody's here this morning. Uh, we are in the middle of a group of lessons entitled, Get Out and Stay Out. We mean it. <laughs> if you're visiting with us today, I, I bet you didn't expect to hear a preacher tell you to get out and stay out. Well, don't, don't pass judgment too quickly. Well, let me start off with a question. How important is your point of view? How important is it to have a point of view and to choose the right point of view? Anybody uh, caught up in politics right now? Probably there's somebody here for any one of the, uh, all the different candidates, right? How we choose our candidate is probably going to come down to your point of view. Make sense? You ever stand next to somebody and they're watching a cat with a mouse and they say, oh, how cute. Cat's playing with the mouse. How much you want to bet that the mouse doesn't see it that way? Point of view is incredibly important. And it really changes. I mean, everything sort of depends on, on, on how we look at things, doesn't it, in our point of view. It's one of the reasons why it's so important for us to get together as Christians, not just on Sunday mornings, on Sunday mornings too, but not just on Sunday mornings, but really all throughout the week. How many of you guys get together with other Christians intentionally on other days besides Sundays? Most of us that have learned that habit find that it's incredibly important because it changes our point of view. See, we live in a place and in a time, really it's just, it's been this way forever, where there's always this attempt to change our, world, our, our point of view and to get us to look at things from a worldly standpoint. Just the way that everybody else looks at things. And yet God appeals for us to look at things from his standpoint. If you would, look over at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16 through 20. See, the Apostle Paul draws attention to this, this dynamic that we live with, this point of view dynamic. And he says it this way. He says, so from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. You see that? There was a time whenever Paul did look at people through a worldly point of view. He says, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. How did Paul treat Jesus and look at Jesus before he took God's view? When he had a worldly point of view. You know his story, don't you? He didn't like Jesus. He thought of Jesus as a threat. He thought of Jesus' followers as a threat. And so he was actively persecuting. He got that wrong. His point of view caused him to look at everything the wrong way. So then he goes on and he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. He's talking about that point of view again. From God's point of view, the new creation is here. The old one's gone, the new one is here. What in the world is he talking about? What does he mean by new creation? Have you thought about that? What was going on in Genesis 1? In the beginning, God, what? Created the heavens and the earth. He created the cosmos. He created everything physical that we know of and everything that lives on everything physical that we know of. He created it all. And when he was done with it, he said, this is really good. He had a plan in mind. And he created it for his purposes. And then you know the story, what happened, right? Adam and Eve sinned. And God had his world corrupted and taken from him. All of a sudden, a distance that God never intended happened between him and his creation because of sin. By the way, if Adam and Eve had been looking at things from God's point of view, do you think we'd have a problem with sin? Do you think they would have seen the serpent differently? Do you would have think that the temptation with the tree, the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, do you think maybe that wouldn't have been as so tempting if they'd have been looking at it from God's perspective, from God's point of view? You see how important point of view is? It changes everything. Well, he goes on here to says that now that he's seeing things from God's point of view, he sees that all of us that are in Christ are a new creation. It means you're not what you were before. The old is gone. The old one of you is gone. You're a new creation if you're in Christ. What does he mean by a new creation? If you look at Ephesians 2... Verse 15, Paul talks to that crowd and he says that 
You are a new humanity. A new kind of human. Have you looked at yourself that way? Look around. See the other Christians in this group that are in Christ? They're not the old kind of human. They are a brand new kind of human. Well, how are we different? They look the same after they got baptized as they did before, right? Well, maybe with physical eyes from a worldly standpoint, but how does God see a person differently? In Philippians, I'm sorry, Second uh, Peter 1.4, Peter said that you were partakers now in the divine nature. What does that mean? Well, you probably knew that whenever you became a Christian, that on the inside things changed. You're now a partaker in the divine nature. See, God moved in. It's not just you inside here anymore. The Holy Spirit, that's God, came to be a part. And he lives inside us. You are absolutely a new kind of human being. Better than the old one. A part of the new creation. And whenever you see that, it will change everything. Let's pick back up in 2 Corinthians 5 here. He says, All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So, if you change this point of view, if you change and and take God's point of view, there are two realities that you're going to have to keep in view at all times. The first one is that you are a new kind of human. You're a new kind of human. You are different than you were before. It's important to remember this. See, sometimes we think that, well, if I'm doing good, then I'm new. If I'm doing well, then I can feel good. Right, Bob? We've talked about this before, right? And it's a trap that Christians sometimes fall into. We only feel as righteous as our deeds can carry us, which we'll be lucky to get out of this building still feeling good about ourselves if that's the way that is. It just it comes and goes. And when we're struggling, when we fall down, when we sin, when we don't do as well as we knew we could have or we knew we should have, then we feel lousy and we wonder if God loves us. We don't have two natures. We don't have an old guy fighting with the new guy. We have one nature. It's, we're partakers in the, in the divine nature. We are a new creation, a brand new kind of human. Does that mean that I no longer mess up? fall short. Of course it doesn't mean that. Just watch me. You'll see me mess up again probably before I get out of the building. I don't feel too bad admitting that because I know you probably will too. But our nature has changed and what we are and how we're growing and becoming more like Christ. If we lose that point of view, we're going to lose some of our security. We also are told in this passage, the second reality that we have to keep in mind is that because you're a new human, You have a new vocation. Whatever you do for a living is not your vocation. It pays your ability, supports you to pursue your true vocation. If you're in Christ, did you guys realize that it's not just the guys up on stage that are the ministers? See, we've been given a ministry of reconciliation. That's all of us. What did Paul say here? He says, he has committed to us a message of reconciliation. He says, we are therefore to go out as ambassadors of Christ. Did you have that in mind when you came here this morning? Did you have that job description in your mind last week? Is that why you chose to do the things that you did do? Or why you chose not to do the things that you didn't do? then I think if if you're saying, no, I kind of lost sight of it, okay, we're all kind of in the same thing together, right? And that's why we get together is to make sure that we're going back to the Word of God to try and take on God's point of view, to see things His way. It's not so important that you agree with me. It's important that we agree with God. 
And so as I give you this lesson today, you may not agree with everything I say. But what we did do is we wrote down the verses and we gave you some notes here so that you can scratch down what I think they mean. And my challenge to you is for you to go back and read these verses, read them in context and decide for yourself if I've told you accurately what's there. Because the really important thing is, not that you all adopt my viewpoint, that's called an indoctrination. At its worst, that's called being a cult. Where a different viewpoint is not tolerated, that's kind of cultish. I don't really want to go down that road, do you? Well, how do we avoid that? By taking responsibility to look at the Word of God for ourselves and decide what God is saying and to try to understand and take on His point of view. And the reality that I think we have to live with all the time is we are new. We have been created. We're in Christ. If we're Christians, we're in Christ and He's in us. Paul said that's a mystery. And because we're this different kind of human being, we have a job. None of us are unemployed. All of us have a vocation. We're to be ambassadors for Christ. Worldly point of view. What's, what's church all about? From a worldly standpoint, what is, what is being a Christian about? I don't know if there's any one answer, but I know central to it is the idea that, yeah, you, you have some rules. You get together, you go to church, kick some money into the plate. In first service, someone said, well, they think church is about making money. Sometimes churches are about that. We obviously are not. (laughs) We don't have very many expensive things in this place. So we're really not trying to get any money. But the world looks at it that way, don't they? Well, do you look at it that way? Why did you come this morning? Why do you do the things that you do? The point I'm trying to make here is that we need to really press ourselves to see things the way that God does. Because we have... We are a new creation and we have a new vocation. So, that brings me up to what the title of this lesson is about. Basically, that was an intro. And how long did it take me? Way too long. Okay, so I'm going to try to shorten this up as fast as I can. There is so much meat to look at with this. We're talking about getting out and and, and staying out. Well, I changed the title a little bit today to be get out and stand out. One of the biggest struggles that we have as Christians is the desire to fit in. And it's not just Christians. All humans desire and crave to, be, to fit in with some crowd, right? Sunday mornings, it's easier to be a Christian because hopefully that's where everybody acts the most Christian, is in a, is in a church building, right? And so it's easy to fit in here. Or easier, I should say. But I don't think that this is what being a Christian is all about just coming together and acting good for a couple of hours on a Sunday morning. I think God's point of view is is that we're supposed to get out and act like ambassadors. So, how can I stand out? I stand out when I refuse to fit in. When I refuse to fit in. Paul, again, was making, I think, the very same point. He did this in Romans chapter 12 in the first couple of verses there. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. Okay, I got to stop real quick. In view of God's mercy, whatever he's going to tell us to do after this, he's attaching it to our ability to keep in view God's mercy. Do you think about God's mercy? Do you keep it in view? What is God's mercy? Mercy is whenever I don't demand that you treat me the way I have a right to be treated. Do you understand that God is merciful? Infinitely mercy? He has a right to demand of us not to sin. Because it's a sin against Him. And yet He is merciful to us. We may have been Christians for quite some time, but we still have sin in our life. We still mess up, don't we? God's got a right to kill us. To have nothing to do with us. And he surrenders that right. He shows us mercy. All the time he shows us mercy. And if we see his mercy displayed towards us, it should change how we look at ourselves and how we look at him and how we look at the whole world. Right? You following? Well, Paul's going to make this point. He says it this way. In view of God's mercy, he urges us to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. 
If you thought that coming here this morning and singing and listening to a bald guy tell you Bible verses was your act of worship, I'd say you've got a worldly viewpoint. If you're seeing it from God's standpoint, the only worship that's acceptable to Him is the one where you are continually offered as a living sacrifice. Now, the Old Testament had all kinds of sacrifices, right? They did it for all kinds of reasons and all kinds of ways, and they were all intended to teach us something about a spiritual reality. But the one that was the most common was the burnt offering. The burnt offering was, was unusual compared to some of the others. One of the things that makes it unusual is it was voluntary. And God didn't say, you have to give me this burnt offering. He had it set up so that at the temple, twice a day, every day, 365 days a year, people were to offer. But he didn't tell you, you have to go offer. But whenever you came to offer a burnt offering, if I understand it correctly, it wasn't about the forgiveness of my sins. It was about me pledging to live a faithful and obedient life to the Lord. In an agrarian society where basically it's the, the food that I can grow and the, and the cattle that I can raise that I support myself with, God's rules were, if you're going to offer me a sacrifice, I want you to give me your best. Well, if you're taking your best sheep in and offering them as a sacrifice, you're putting in question the health of your herd. Because you're taking the best one out of the, out of the gene pool. And it was different than some of the other sacrifices because you didn't just walk your sheep up and give him to the priest and walk away. You had to take the, the animal. You had to cut its throat. You had to peel its hide off. You had raised this. And sheep are kind of fun. So this, this was painful to do. You cut him apart. You took out his innards. You, you washed him all up. Now a lot of the other sacrifices, it would be kind of a party. Because you got to eat the sacrifice after you made it. They'd cook it up and you'd eat it. And it'd be a good, kind of good time. But not with burnt offerings. Burnt offerings, everything except for the hide. The priest got to keep the hide. But everything else got put on the altar. That means there was nothing left. It was totally consumed. And God says it's a pleasing aroma. I don't think it was the cooking of the meat that he smelled. I think it was this idea I'm going to, that he was seeing from us that we're going to trust him. We're going to put ourselves out there with this faith. We want to see things from his viewpoint. We know that serving him is the most important thing. That's the burnt offering. And I believe that's what he's talking about here. Or at least the image that the first century Christians would have gotten, the Romans would have gotten, whenever he says to offer your body as a living sacrifice. See, it's different in that we don't get burnt up and we cease to exist. We're supposed to live in this condition of being completely, 100% given to the use of God. And it's voluntary. You'll read scriptures about giving up a sacrifice of praise. You know, when we sing, we have an opportunity to give a sacrifice of praise. But it's really going to have to do with how you're looking at things. Your point of view. Why you're doing it. Because you can just sing for entertainment's sake or for social peer pressure or for whatever. And that's not a sacrifice of praise. God's looking for that. He also says that generosity. There are verses that talk about sacrifices that are acceptable. It's where we, we support those that are serving ministry. Sacrificing our body means letting God use our hands. Letting God tell us where our feet go. Letting God tell us what our eyes watch and our ears listen to and what our mouths will actually say. Are you looking at it like this? Is that the kind of Christian you are? Or did you have a different point of view? See, I have to fight for this point of view. I'm able to tell you this because I've been studying this for a lot of years. And I believe it to be absolutely true. But just because I understand it doesn't mean I'm always able to do it. I have to fight for this. And I know you do too. I used to box a little bit. I did much better whenever I could figure out which one I was fighting in the ring. You know, if I went after the referee, it just didn't work out so good. I think that in Christianity, we do a much better job of fighting the wrong things. The things that are wrong, if we understand what we're fighting. Your point of view needs to reconcile with God's. We need to see it His way. And that means, if we're going to worship Him, we're going to have to sacrifice ourselves. 
He goes on there in verse 2. He says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Whenever you change your point of view, guess what happens to your mind? It gets transformed. Every day you're going to have to make a choice. Am I going to see things from my point of view, from the world's point of view, or am I going to try to see things from God's point of view? You know, there's a, and I'm not, I'm not a doctor, but I was reading a little bit. There's a part of our brains that's called a hippocampus. You guys know what this is? Well, you'll probably catch, if you know about it, you'll probably catch me where I get off base and, and say something that's not right. Challenge me later, okay? But I do understand this. That, si- that part of our brain can actually change. Am I right? They did a study with uh, London taxi drivers, and apparently they got a really incredibly hard job. They, they have to memorize a very complicated street system. And apparently, that part of their brain changes as they grow, and their mind actually physically transforms on some level. I don't know if that's what Paul's talking about here. But I know that whenever you change the way you look at this world, and you agree to see it God's way, you make that your point, the way you see things, everything will change. And we'll see ourselves not as... See, what's popular in Christianity right now is for us to think that we invite God into our story. And we talk like that from pulpits, don't we? Why don't you, are you ready to invite Jesus into your life? Are you ready to make Jesus Lord? I don't think we get to make him Lord. I think God did that. And I really don't think... And see, boy, it's really important. Language is really important sometimes. Because if we think that we've invited God into our story, then we expect God to be kind of like a genie in a bottle who, makes, who smooths out the road for us. Who makes our lives better somehow. And we live a better life here in this world. And that is what the normal view amongst Christians in this country is. That isn't right. I think God's point of view is is he invited us into his story. He's been telling this story since the very beginning. It's the same story from Genesis all the way through to Revelation, and it is going on right now. And why is it so important that we understand the story? Because if we're invited into that story, then we've got a role to play, and I'll play that role better if I understand the story I'm in. And the story isn't about me having health, wealth, and prosperity. The story is about the kingdom of God coming, about this world being the same as heaven. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what the kingdom coming, Jesus said, we were supposed to pray for. Right? Okay. I am not even staying close to my notes at all. I'm just... So I'm not even sure where I am in all this. I guess I would say this. You've got to stop trying to fit in. You've got to stop trying to fit in. So let's look at the second way that I can stand out. I stand out whenever I let people see me serving God. It's one thing to serve God. It's another thing to make sure that people can see it. And I, I don't know how far to... I don't know if I can teach this point as well as I would like to. Uh, there's a way that we can try to draw attention to ourselves and say, look at, gee, look at me serve God. And that's not cool. The Pharisees did that. In fact, they got so taken with the idea of being seen as worshiping God and serving Him that they didn't much care if they really were as long as people thought that they were. It's not what I think we're supposed to be. I think we're supposed to not hide who we are in Christ. Not hide the reasons why we do good things. See, if I go out and I, I do some work of volunteer work you know we're trying to get people around here to volunteer some this summer to go out and to share good things and and do what they can do to help other people but you know other people besides christians do that if i am really kind to my neighbors but i don't mention god if i don't explain the reason why i'm that who gets the praise maybe they think i'm a nice guy I think there's something about letting people see the reason why we do the things that we do. I'd go to this verse. Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16 says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill can't be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. A couple weeks ago, had a big storm, lost power. Anybody else here lose power? Do you have to use some candles? 
If you lost power in your house, where would you put the candles? Where you need them? By the toilet. Really good idea. That is a, that is a good one. Wouldn't want to do that by feel. Probably you're going to put the candle where you need it, right? And you're probably going to go into more than just one room in your house. So probably you're going to put a candle someplace where it's dark so that it won't be dark anymore. If you're the light of the world, from God's point of view, he has the right to put you where he needs you. And it may be someplace dark. Whenever people tell you that worshiping a God, the worshiping God, is your way to having your best life now, sound familiar? I don't think that they're seeing that God's way. Because serving God may make you poor. Serving God is going to cause you to care for and to work with people that you may not want to. That you may not like. But he's God. We didn't invite him into our story. He invited us into his. We need to change our point of view on this. We need to understand that we're to be light. He goes on to say in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Kind of self-explanatory, isn't it? How does God... See, whenever I let people see me serving God, their point of view is going to change a little too. See, they're going to see God differently. In my neighborhood, I've got some neighbors that are atheists. And my wife and I are great friends with them. I mean, they're really good people. They aren't buying what I believe, at least not yet. And they run with an entirely different crowd. You can imagine. I mean, they they hang out with people that are very, very diverse. And so I was talking with her one day. I said, what do your friends think of the fact that you're friends with a Christian minister? And she says, oh, well, they think you've got an agenda. They think that that eventually you're going to try and pressure me into becoming a Christian. And And she started to tell me how she was telling them that I didn't have this agenda. She's known me long enough that I don't have that agenda. I said, well, actually, I do. I do have an agenda. And I would be, I would be over the moon if you would become, if you would fall in love with Jesus the way that I have, I would be ecstatic. It would give me just the greatest joy. But that's not my agenda. My agenda is to please my master. So whenever I serve you, they're working on their house and I'm loaning them all kinds of tools and helping them with different things. I'm not looking for anything out of that other than to please my master. And I've let them know that's why I do that. It's easy to do for these people because I just like them. They're fun to talk to. They're good people. I got other neighbors that are not so easy to like. They're a little harder to serve. The way I treat them is the same. And the atheist wonders why. And I explain it the same way. Because my agenda is to serve my master and let him use me the way that he wants to. Might that change her view? I don't know. That's up to God. That's not my agenda. My agenda is to be that light that he calls me to be. So now, back to, back to this lesson. We've been talking about how can we take that light out into the world? How can we do good works? Well, the last couple of weeks we've had different people that represent different volunteer organizations that have come through and told us a little bit about how they serve the community. I think it's a a great opportunity for us to go and be a different kind of human being. To serve for a different reason. Because there are all kinds of needs. And there are some people that are hurting and they need help. The work is legitimate. Uh, This morning I've asked Paul Miltzer from Community Hope Center to come and tell us a little bit about what they do. I got the uh, chance to to come and talk with him. Uh, Jim Shrimp introduced us uh, back in, oh, I guess maybe March, something like that. I was massively impressed with what these guys do. So, without further ado. Good morning. About two years ago, God gave me my dream job, and that is Executive Director of Community Hope Center, where help and hope are found in Jesus. I'm so humbled and thankful that God would put me in such a fantastic ministry at such an advanced age in my life. I love working at Community Hope Center. Uh, Every day I get to serve with sisters and brothers in Christ who are committed and competent and caring. Um, 
On top of that, they're just a lot of fun to be around. We represent all denominations, all churches in the Riverbend area. We don't let our differences divide us. We allow Jesus Christ to unite us. And prior to being called to be the director of Community Hope Center, I wasn't very aware of the huge number of people who are living in poverty in our community or the difficult choices that people who live in poverty have to make. Uh, the poverty rate in Madison County is 13%. Poverty rate for children is 17%. Fair market rent for a two-bedroom apartment is $815 a month. So if a person is making minimum wage, do you know how many hours a week they have to work in order to afford a two-bedroom apartment? 76 hours just to pay the rent. So if a parent is paying more than they can afford for rent, they must make some really difficult choices on a regular basis. Do I buy food this week or do I pay my electric bill? Community Hope Center exists to help people not to have to make those impossible choices. We give people free food, free clothes, and free household items. Every day we serve an average of 160 people, including children, and we give out about one and a half tons of food a day. Every Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, we serve a delicious hot lunch from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. to everybody in our community. It's not just for our clients. I eat there almost every day. I invite you to come out and have lunch. Uh, did you eat that day, Ellen? You didn't. He missed out on a really good lunch. So uh, come on out. It's, it's a wonderful atmosphere. It's not a soup kitchen where we serve down to people. It's a, it's a cafe where everybody kind of knows people. We sit down, we talk, we pray for each other. And uh, it's just a wonderful atmosphere. I invite you to come out and enjoy a lunch someday. Um, we have two big events every year, our Thanksgiving dinner. We take a complete meal out to the community. Anybody ever help with that here, the Thanksgiving meal? Nobody. Well, feel free to help this year. Uh, we need drivers. We need people to help prepare, kind of get the food into the trays. It, it's just a, an assembly line. It's a, it's a lot of fun. It's Thanksgiving morning for a couple hours. You help out someone, have a meal, and you're done. You get to be with your family the rest of the day. We also have a Christmas toy giveaway. I understand Greater Alton has helped with that in the past, where we give out free uh, new toys to children in our community. Uh, last Christmas, we gave out toys to almost 500 children. New toys, and each child got between eight and nine toys. Thank you for helping with that. Because of you, a child had a wonderful Christmas last year. So how are we able to alleviate hunger and provide clothing to so many people? It's through the generosity of people and churches like yours. Community Hope Center is debt-free. We don't owe anybody any money. That's a great place to be. And Community Hope Center has been blessed by God since we opened the doors way back in 1988. And I believe there's two main reasons why God has blessed Community Hope Center as he does. First of all, we serve the poor, and we try to serve everyone with respect and dignity, because every person deserves that. And we try to. We're not perfect. We sometimes make mistakes, as Alan has just men mentioned. None of us are perfect. And so we don't always respond the way we should. But we try to, peep, to treat everybody with dignity and respect. Second reason why I believe God has blessed us as he has is we are a volunteer-based ministry. We have only four paid staff people. I'm one of them. I'm the director. We have a full-time assistant director. We have two part-time office people. Everyone else who serves at Community Hope Center is a volunteer. So tomorrow morning when we open up our doors, there'll be between 40 and 50 people there serving as volunteers. And one of our people who is a volunteer, he's on our board of directors, is Jim Shrimp, one of our volunteers. He doesn't serve during the day, but he serves on our board. He is a volunteer. Anybody else serve as a volunteer? There's a lot of volunteers. I miss some people. Okay, I don't see any hands today. In a year or two when I come back, I'm going to Oh, I see a volunteer back there. Which department are you in? Okay. Thank you for your service. Because we are a volunteer-based ministry, we're able to give out so much more than we take in. Uh... Last year, we gave out over $3 million worth of goods and services. For every dollar that was donated, we give out almost $10 in goods and services. And most importantly, we share the good news of Jesus Christ. We receive no government funding, 
We are fully supported by individuals, churches, and businesses. We are audited annually, both monetarily and for the goods and services that we provide. We receive lots of donations from various organizations and agencies, none of whom limit our ability to share the gospel of Jesus. I love people telling people we are not a faith-based organization. We are a Christ-centered ministry. And the element that sets us apart from all the other wonderful charitable groups and organizations in our community, and there's a lot of them doing great work for Jesus, we're, we're unique in that everyone who comes to Community Hope Center to get services tomorrow, whether it's food, clothing, or household items, and usually it's food, but anybody who comes for services, they will meet with a spiritual care volunteer who will sit down with them and they'll say to them, how are you doing today? How can I pray for you? And then we'll listen to what they say, and then we'll pray for them and with them. So everyone who gets services at Community Hope Center is prayed for. It is the heart of our ministry. I know of no other charitable organization in our community that does this. So clients walk out of Community Hope Center not with just a trunk load of food and clothes, but with a heart that has been lightened and encouraged through the loving care of our volunteers. We are Community Hope Center. And through the support of our community, people who are hungry get fed, people who are down and out get encouraged, and people who are lost find Jesus. I'm sometimes asked, what are our greatest needs? And here is my answer. Prayer, prayer, prayer. That is our greatest need. And everyone can do that. I would cover your prayers for Community Hope Center. We also need volunteers. We have a lot, but we also we could always use more. So if you're interested in possibly volunteering, I would love to talk to you about that. We always need donations. We are totally dependent upon the community for what we give to our guests, our clients, is what we get from you. So if you have extra clothes, if you have extra household items, if you have food you want to donate, if you have money you want to give, we will receive that. And we do need financial support. No ministry can do its, its work without financial support. So we also need um, people to give monetarily. Henry Blackaby is the author of Experiencing God. It's a book, uh, it's a workbook that I actually did. I was a pastor at Cherry Street Baptist Church uh, back in the 90s and early O's, and uh, I actually led my church through that. Anybody heard of Henry Blackaby, Experiencing God? There's a couple of hands. Wonderful book. I would strongly encourage it. Lots of wonderful truths that Henry Blackaby shares, but one has always, always stuck with me, and it's this. Find out where God is working and join Him. Why reinvent the wheel? Where are you working at Holy Spirit? Where are you working? Where are you moving? And jump in, wherever that is. Well, I can tell you this, my sisters and my brothers in Christ, God is working at Community Hope Center. Wouldn't you like to join Him? There are contact cards that have been provided for you. Uh, in your bulletin. If you are interested, if the Holy Spirit is tugging at your heart right now and saying, this is something I want you to check out, please just write down your information on that, and then later when the offering plate is passed, if you could just drop that in. I will be at the table out in the hallway after the service to talk with you, answer any questions uh, that you may have about Community Hope Center. Let me pray. God, thank you for this opportunity to share about what you have done and are doing at Community Hope Center. Thank you for Greater Alton Church. Thank you for their witness. God, I pray that you would pour your Holy Spirit into this congregation, into the leadership, use them to continue to reach out to this community and beyond with the good news of Jesus that we would see you bring people in through their efforts. We give you praise and thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Paul. Yeah, uh, Jim. You know, I was talking earlier in the, in the year about how do we how do we get back to this pure devotion to Christ that changed the world in the first century. You know, those folks didn't just huddle together on Sunday mornings and feel good about it and leave. They were out in their community, being different, thinking different, 
seeing people differently. And so we're having this kind of a conversation, and Jim said, I got somebody I want you to meet. And so we went down there, and I was really taken back how well-organized Community Hope Center is, how many people that they've got there. If you've not been down there, float by and just take a look at them in operation. And they're not just shoving food and clothes at people and kicking them out the back door. They've got people there that can sit down and talk with them, talk with them about Christ, and get to the real problems. So if, if you've not found any other way to serve, please give this a consideration. I mean, they're, they're, they're doing some good stuff there. So, let's get back into this lesson here. You, you see why we have to start with this viewpoint thing? You see why we have to change how we look at things? If we're going to be what God has called, what he's made us, what he's called us to be, we're going to have to change how we think change how we look at the world around us. So that will cause us to stand out. Third point, how I stand out when I serve God without complaining and arguing. Okay. I used to I used to manage I was Don was in my uh in the in the in the early service and Don was a manager, I was a manager, Mike was a manager. Anybody here besides us three actually managed a crew of people for somebody? How common is it for your workers to complain and argue? I, had, I managed security people, some of the most diverse people that you would ever want to manage in your life. It doesn't pay a lot, and so it tends to be one of those jobs that is either an entry-level position, people that are just starting to get jobs and start to work and support themselves, or an exit-level position where people are trying to finish out a retirement or supplement a, tire, a retirement income. And some people scattered throughout the middle of that. And what I would watch is, as diverse as they were, the one language that they all knew how to speak was the language of complaint. And I, 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 I think this is probably common to all of us. Did you ever hire somebody and they were so happy to get this job? And they're just singing a happy tune the first day. And then they get around the other employees. Honest to goodness, this ha- usually it takes a couple of weeks. I hired this one lady. She was grateful, like beyond compare. And I felt good about giving this lady a job, right? And her first day, she's just stepping on clouds. Second day, 48 hours. She is dragging around, stepping on her lower lip, and complaining like crazy. And what happened? I've never seen such a... And what it was, everybody else was complaining. And because you can connect around complaints, she got drugged down. And a job that was easy to do turned into one that was incredibly difficult to do. You realize that complaining just makes everything harder. Same job. Point of view, right? Whenever I look at it one way, I see it one way, and, it, and when I look at the other, it becomes very, very difficult. Look at what Philippians, what Paul said to the Philippian crowd. He said there in chapter 2, verse 14 through 16, he says, Do everything without grumbling or arguing. So everything is, I, I think only everything is everything. Am I right? Do everything without grumbling or arguing. I do not get this right. I'm getting better. But there are times whenever I complain and I grumble because God wants me to serve somebody who's ungrateful. Because the task is threatening or I don't feel like I'm up to it. I do not feel that I'm a gifted preacher. And if you talk to Gary and Tim, uh, most normally whenever they say, who wants to preach on this date? Gary, is my, am I ever the first one to say, oh, I'd like to do that? No. I, I, I don't really feel like I'm the one that wants to do this, but I've learned not to complain about it. He says, do everything without grumbling and arguing so that you may be blameless and pure. So in other words, if you are complaining and grumbling and arguing, you are not blameless and pure. I hope that seeks in. He says, you'll be blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. We live and are surrounded by a generation of people who complain about serving. And they argue about serving. That is the worldly point of view. The godly point of view rejects that. He says, then, and this will be the payoff, if you will refuse to serve in a grumbling and arguing kind of a way, a complaining kind of a way, then the result will be that you will shine among that crooked generation like stars in the sky. 
Ever been out someplace where you could see the whole sky and there wasn't a cloud in it? It was late at night. I grew up in a different part of southern Illinois. And there were places where there weren't any, any lights. You couldn't see an electric light in some of these places. Folks that were from over here are sometimes stunned by the thought. One of the fun things I used to do is after I'd get off work at Pizza Hut at 2 o'clock in the morning on a Friday, uh, Saturday morning, is about late August, it would be it's so hot during the day. And the water temperature had gotten really warm sitting out there. We had what they called uh, uh, strip pits. You guys know what a strip pit is? Oh, man, you guys. <laughs> i got to explain everything. A strip pit is where they dug something out and left the hole and it filled with water. And so it became, like, you just find these at different places. And they, they're, sometimes the water is just crystal clear. Like these sand pits and gravel pits. The water is so clear you can see schools of fish 20 feet out and 20 feet down. And boy, at late at night, take an inner tube and go out there. It was like having this huge sauna or a huge uh, hot tub. And just float out there. What's that? Yeah, the blue hole. I was thinking of Calvin, but we'll talk about that later. <laughs> Danny's from back that way, too. Boy, there were times, though, where I'd be laying out there, and it'd be a cloudless night like I'm talking about, like I think Paul is talking about here. And you'd sit on this inner tube looking up at the sky, and you could watch it move. You could, watch, you could see every star, and it would just blow you away. Do you realize that God designed you to stand out like that? God designed you to stand out like that. And you will stand out if you stop the complaining and the arguing. You'll stop the complaining and arguing when you change your way you look at things. When you see it His way. Hang on. My notes are stuck. Okay, let's go on to the next point. Uh, The fourth point is, I stand out when... I am eager to do what is good. When I'm eager to do what is good. You realize there's a difference between being eager and being willing. You know, you ever go out on a date with somebody who was willing versus somebody who was eager? I probably don't need to even get into the verse. You've you probably got it. But I'll, I'll just for the sake of thorough, I'll go into it. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. Paul tells Titus, this, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Now I've got to stop. A couple things we need to deal with in that. Just in that very first verse. Paul says that the grace of God has appeared. That means you can see it. Now that presses on what do you mean by grace? How do you understand grace? How do you see grace? And is it the same way that God sees grace? See, I watch sometimes people say, well, I'm going to give somebody grace. I'm not sure biblically you can do that. Because John 1 tells us that Jesus came full of grace and truth. And it's of his fullness that we receive. That's chapter 1, verse 14, and then the second part is in verse 16. Grace is something that's inside of Jesus. Is there forgiveness inside of Christ? Yeah. But it's a whole lot more than that. It's something about the way that Jesus looks at things. Something about the way that his personality is, the way that he understands things, how he thinks, how he acts. And the grace of Christ, the grace of God, is something that can be seen. It looks like something. He'll go on here. He says, verse 12, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. And to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Do you see the battling viewpoints? Do you see that? There's the worldly viewpoint, which is about satisfying myself. And he explains it as ungodliness, worldly passions. Moving away from that viewpoint to this one of a self-controlled, upright, and godly life. So what does grace look like? I think it looks like a teacher. Isn't that what Paul says? If you have grace, it's going to teach you. It's going to teach you to say no to the things you ought to say no to. But it's also going to teach you to say yes to the things that he wants you to say yes to. Here's where you need to do a little bit of introspection. Maybe more so than on some of the other points. This one's really important. 
If grace is not teaching you, then you don't have it. If grace is a teacher and it's not teaching you, then it isn't there and you don't have it. And that means that you may not really be in Christ. Does that make good logic, good sense? Read this verse for yourself. It's not important that you agree with me. It's important that we all agree with Jesus. Look at this for yourself and decide. But if it's not teaching you, I think you've got a problem. So we pick back up here in verse 13. He says, It teaches us to live upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us to buy us back from all the wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. He's telling us that God always wanted, and his plan has been, to create a people for himself, a different kind of human, one that's eager to do his will, one that's eager to do what's good. You take that viewpoint and you will stand out. You will look different. Why does Paul have to come to churches and present a case? Why do churches have to have month-long sermon series about doing God's will? Why isn't it just natural? Because we give in to the wrong point of view. And sometimes we aren't eager to do what's good. Why would I be eager to do what God wants me to do? Why would I be eager? I, I'm getting involved with Project Read. Why would I be eager to meet with somebody I don't know every week to help them learn how to read better? And I am eager. It's not a brag for me, but I am eager. Why would I be eager to help Paul out? Why would I be eager to get involved with the heroin problem that we've got in Madison County? By, by getting involved, I mean not using, but helping people who do use it. <laughs> Why would I be eager to get involved? Think bigger, folks. What is God up to? What is God up to? Making his kingdom on earth. Who wouldn't want that? Have you thought about this? Do you have a problem with our politics? Do you have a problem with global warming? Do you have a problem with sexual abuse, with the divorce rate, with child abuse, with corruption in the politics? Do you realize that all of us, my friends that are atheists, have a problem with those very same things? They really care about how animals are treated. I care about my dogs. I don't know if I care about you know, cows, but they do. And you know what? I think God does too. The answer to those problems is never going to be found in a better government. It's never going to be found in a politician or a, a political party. It's not even going to be found in volunteer groups. It will be found in the kingdom of God. He is the answer to those things. Don't you want to help? Don't you want to help God get what he wants? This comes down to do you actually love God? I hope some of you guys would love me enough that if somebody stole something from me that was precious to me, that you wouldn't tolerate that, that you'd want to bring that back to me, that you'd want to help me get what was mine, that your sense of justice, if nothing else, would compel you to want me to have what literally, logically, legally belonged to me. If you've got a shred of justice, how can you be dispassionate about God getting back what is his that was taken from him? Do you look at people that don't know him with that viewpoint? Or do you look at them as the bad people and us as the good ones? Do you look at them as the ones who deserve punishment for all the wicked things they've done and we're not that bad? God doesn't see it that way. How does he see it? I think if you lock in to his viewpoint, what he's doing and what he wants to accomplish, you'll be eager to play your part. Whatever that part is. We all were given different parts to play. But we're working towards the same goal. And it'll make us eager. 
Okay. Uh, number five. Last point. I stand out when I tell people how good God is. Again, I can do all kinds of good things, and people just maybe think I'm a good guy. I know for a fact I am not a good guy. I'm not afraid to tell you that because most of you guys aren't good guys either. So I, I fit in with you, but I know I'm not fooling myself. I'm not a good guy. But whenever I'm doing good things and I don't say why, maybe people might get confused and think, well, he's just a good guy. But whenever they see a group of people this big, this diverse, who are all going out of their way to do good, to be that different kind of human, to serve people, to do it with an eagerness, it's hard to pin one guy down and say he's the reason for that. He's just that good. God gets the credit for that. And if you like what he's doing, if you like the difference that you see him making in people's lives, and the the difference you see him making in your neighborhood, in this church and around, why wouldn't you tell people about that? I'm a Macintosh fan. I was Mac way back before it was cool. Everybody knows that about me. Why? I like it. It's good. I'll tell you all about it. Tell you why you might want to look into one too. And I don't feel a bit bad if you decide that you don't want one. I'm a happy customer. Everybody that knows me in my neighborhood knows that I'm a big fan of Jesus and I'm a follower of Jesus. And I'm a lot more excited about him and what he does than what Apple computers can do. And I feel about the same way about whether or not they accept him or reject him. It's not my job to pressure people into believing what I believe. But I can't help but talk about the things I'm excited about. Are you excited about God? i got to throw this in. The Cubs are just about 25 games over 500. Everybody knows I'm a Cubs fan. It's a good year for us. It's not September yet. All the naysayers. Yes, the June swoon crowd. I'll check back with you in July. We'll see where we're still at. I tell you what, it would break my heart if all people knew about me was my love for a brand of computer or a particular sports team. And they didn't see that the very first thing, the most important thing to me was Jesus and his kingdom. How do they see you? People know what's really important to you. You can put on a mask. You can pump up the religious language when you get together on a Sunday morning or when you're around another believer. You can wear the t-shirt. You can have the bumper sticker. You can wear the necklace. And people will still see what's really important to you. The only way that... That gets to be the right picture is whenever you change your point of view and you see things the way that God does. So I've given you about five things that I can see from Scripture, five ways that we can stand out the way that God intended his new kind of human to stand out. I don't know that everybody needs to work on all five today. That would be a little overwhelming. But here's the thing I found in almost 40 years of being a Christian. It's not the stuff that I don't know that gets me in trouble. It's the stuff I know and I will not do. And... Hopefully, of these five, there's one that is resonating for you. And what I'd ask you to do is on your notes, if there's one that you know God wants you to take action on, that he wants to change your point of view, one, would you circle it and start taking care of that? You know, we've got communication cards. It's, it's a way, it's a clumsy way, I admit, but it's a way for you to communicate with our prayer team what you would like for them to pray about. Let it be known on that. And that's, that's not something that I'm necessarily going to know about. But don't you want people to help pray and ask God to change how you view things so that you can experience more of His grace, so that you can be eager to do these good things? Step out in faith, whatever it is that he's bringing you to. Do that, and then see where he brings you next. But man, folks, there has never been a time where it's been more important for us as a body of believers, as a community of believers, to be seen, to stand out, to stand out 
and, and, and to be this new kind of human, to show the rest of the world there is a different way to be human, that God has created a new kind of human being, and anybody, anybody can be a part of it. If you would, I'd like to bow and pray, and we're going to wrap it up for this morning. Heavenly Father, um, I pray that you'll, you'll help us to see things the way that you see them. Help us to, to hold tightly to your word. Father, to be people that, that we really want to see things the way that you do. That we won't be lazy in this. That we won't be shallow thinkers or just rule followers that are looking for somebody with a microphone to tell us what we should do so that we can feel good about ourselves. But that we'll go to your word and that we'll consider deeply what it is you want. And that we'll allow you to change the way we think, change the way we act. And Father, we desperately want to see your kingdom come. We are in a dark place. But you called us to be light. And each one of us, we don't all go into the same places after we leave here today. But we need to be your light. And we need, we need to, to let people see what you've got to offer. Father, change us. Change the world we live in. And, and Father, let it be about your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.